Matthew 28 today. And uh, take a look at it with me. We'll, in, in essence, seek to tackle over the next 45 minutes, the next, we'll seek to tackle the first 10 verses. And of course, this is what everything is about. This is the reason why we meet. This is the reason why we assemble. This is why we choose Sunday to do it on. Uh, really, to be honest, if, if this event didn't take place, well, then really, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we're the most pitiful people on the planet. If there really isn't a resurrection, to be honest, and we just worship a dead God, somebody was nice and died for us, he says, then we're really the dumbest, most pitiful people on the planet. Because if that's really the case, we might as well do what everyone else is doing, which is let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die, and what difference does it make? He goes, but Jesus has resurrected. And because he has resurrected, well, there's every reason in the world to celebrate and every reason out of the world to celebrate. So here it is, Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. Uh, take a look at it with me. Now, after Shabbat, or the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary... How'd you like to be known as her? Uh, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. Before you will see him, there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. But as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell My brethren to go into Galilee, and there they will see Me. Pray with me, would you please? God, I know today you intend on blasting this Scripture open and making this beautiful and profound and meaningful. Lord, color in the black and white. Captivate us. Make this time beautiful time. God, I love being here in your Word. Let, this, let your Word captivate every one of us now. Draw us in, Lord, so we're just there beautifully held by you. And so that, Lord, every word that is now spoken, Lord, be right out of your heart. So, Lord, minister, Lord, you know the areas in our hearts right now that are struggles, frustrations, weaknesses, things we'd rather avoid. We'd not in any line like to shine light on. But God, today, show us how this event changes everything from this point forward. So, Lord, please minister now. Lord, if there be any who have yet to really accept your gift, let today be the day of their salvation. If there are any, Lord, who right now are just tottering on the fence, push them over to you. Pull them over to you. And Lord, let us all walk out of here so in love with you, even as you are with us. So Lord, immerse me in your spirit that you would be seen. Lord, come upon me that you, Lord, would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Speak fluent us individually into our ears, into our hearts, into our lives. 
And Lord, minister now, perform the therapy you have ordained on each of us, Lord, that we would all say, oh, God, you spoke to me today. Redeem every second, Lord, I pray, that you would ordain its length and its depth now. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. You don't need somebody calling themselves an expert and then telling you that they're the expert in the end of it all. The Bible is the thing for which we hold all things and we test all things. And what that does is it keeps the nincompoops and the numbskulls and the crazies and the whack jobs from actually really having the credibility that they shouldn't have. So with that in mind, this is where we start this. We read that this was after the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. Shabbat is actually from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And it is a time, by the way, where God has ordained rest all the way back to Exodus 19 and 20. Now, that is when Israel has left Egypt but not entered into the Promised Land. That, from this point that we're looking at here, was roughly 14, 1,500 years before this. So basically a millennium and a half. Now, during that time... God said, on that day, you couldn't work. So then they had to decide what that meant. You couldn't pick up sticks and carry stuff. You couldn't carry, well, then they had to decide, well, what did that mean? You couldn't basically carry a load heavier than two dried figs. You couldn't start a fire because, of course, that was work. And, of course, today it's not as hard work to kind of flip a switch. But in those days, I mean, you had to take out your stones and your kindling and the whole bit. You know, it's kind of that kind of, you know, Girl Scout kind of stuff. You know, it was definitely work. Nonetheless, I mean, today even the, those who keep kosher still, by the way, still don't light a fire. What most people do that seek to keep kosher but want warm food on a Sabbath do is they actually go and move into a hotel for the night. And that way they have, you know, Gentiles cook their food because it doesn't say you can't have someone else do it. You just can't do it. They can't even press buttons on, an, on a lift. So, they, I mean, it's kind of fun. There's a Shabbat elevator. So if you live, you know, if you're staying 17 flights up, you know, that means you have to wait for every floor to open until you get, but, you know, you're not pressing a button, so that works. Now, all of that to say this. So there are these women, and they have given their entire life to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, not only their lives, but they have given the resources, according to the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus was primarily sponsored by a batch of gals who had followed him around, of which was this particular gal named Mary Magdalene. Now, Magdalene, for what it's worth, is because, I mean, we try to think, well, how do people come up with surnames in the beginning? Magdala was a place. Magdala actually means tower. And Magdala was actually a place on the south, if you will, kind of on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. I'll offer you guys to be over here. For the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And so she was Mary from Magdal. Just the same way that, you know, you could say Deborah from Terracin or whatever, you know. You know. And, and it actually kind of sounds cool to say it that way. You know. Or, you know, PT from California. But the idea was it was Mary from there. But what we do read about her is that Jesus had cast out of her seven demons. Now, I don't know what kind of person a human being would be like to be filled with seven demons. But I'll say this, being in Camden, we've probably come across a couple. Well, one thing's for sure, she was a mess. But once she encountered Jesus, she would never be the same. She was in every way out of control. There was nothing about her life, no matter how much she tried to put the whole manner on. No matter what the case is, the strange thing is somehow Mary still had money. And so somewhere down the line, Mary had been touched by Jesus. She had been transformed. Hell no longer has power over her. And she's just going to follow him anywhere he goes. She doesn't really care. 
And as she follows him from place to place, she watches Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers. And she watches him deliver other people that were demoniacs. And you could see this, you know, everywhere that Jesus goes and does something, Mary's like, this is awesome. I certainly followed the right guy. But somewhere in all of this, something starts to change in the tone. Because Jesus had been saying for quite a while now, all the way back in Matthew 16, Jesus had said in Caesarea Philippi, they began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and then be raised on the third day. From the moment Jesus has, if you will, this board meeting up on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, basically Jesus is continually reminding the people that are around him, hey, I just need to let you know, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to be murdered. And not just by the religious leaders. They're just going to hand me over. Then the Romans are going to be the ones, the Gentiles are going to be the ones to really finish the job. They're going to drop the axe. They're going to murder me. But you need to know, after three days, I'm going to raise again. And we see that from, you know, Matthew 16:71, I'm sorry, 16:21 to 17:9, Jesus is constantly reminding them. So imagine it's, I mean, after a while, who wants to hear that anymore? I mean, you've given your life to follow Jesus. And if you've given your life to follow Jesus, the last thing you want to hear is, by the way, I just want you to know, I'm going to get murdered. Good luck. You know, I mean, but because when Jesus says raise again, even though Jesus has been raising the dead, we blow a fuse. There's no part of us that thinks, oh yeah, well that's how that works. Jesus is going to die, he's going to raise again, and then we'll be back to normal. I mean, what's normal for two, three, three and a half years, three and a half being the length of his public ministry as an adult? Well, from that time, we've just been following him around and watching him do amazing things, teach beautiful messages, and we're just kind of going, this is life. Now, can you imagine that was what Christianity was back then? It wasn't like we had all of this politic and we had to vote about things. We just asked Jesus and he told us. And we didn't go, oh, I know Jesus said it this way, but I kind of think we can kind of bend it to mean the opposite. It just didn't happen. We really just believed if he said it, it was truth. We also believed if we could just get him to Jesus, he could fix him. I mean, if he could cleanse the leper and raise the dead and heal the sick of any sort. Well, we didn't, hear me, hear me, hear me, please. We didn't have to think we had to be experts in what a person's problem was. So the issue wasn't, I have to be an expert in your problem. It's just that I have to know well the problem solver. Why don't we do that today? I'm convinced because somewhere down the line, we just don't feel like we're equipped. Odd. Why don't we feel like we're equipped? Because I've never been raped. or I mean, look, I'm not trying to downplay any of this or I don't have this disease, or I'm not suffering from this thing, or I'm not standing and staring in the face of cancer, or whatever the case is. But I really don't have to actually be an expert in the, the issue you're dealing with to actually have total faith that the one who transformed me can transform you. And it shuts down the ministry because what happens is we're like, oh, who's going to minister? Does anyone, has anyone been raped over here? I mean, and I, I, again, I don't mean to downplay, but what happens is we stop serving people because we've convinced ourselves we just can't do it. Could you imagine if the guy who was driving the bus to get you down to Trafalgar Square couldn't explain the history of every stop on his way? Well, that's not his job. His job was to basically get you from point A to point B and if he knew that was his job, well, then he does it most of the time in a fairly decent manner. The same should be for you as well. 
So these women, they've kind of, and Jesus has been warning them. And when we read the disciples, understand disciple just means students. We just think 12 guys. Jesus had a huge crowd of people that were called disciples. We know that because by John 6, when he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have no part in me. And it says many of those disciples walked away. In other words, it was like Jesus had this giant classroom, and then one day Jesus says something, and then the majority of the class drops out. But it wasn't just 12 guys. It was 12 guys, and then more guys, and then more guys, and these gals. Now, imagine in the Middle East 2,000 years ago that Jesus is going to choose to who he wants to appear to, and he's going to pick a bunch of gals. Now, consider that. Because 2,000, I mean, you could go to the most of the Middle East today and try to explain that, and people would actually think it was blasphemy. But how redeeming it is for God and how validating to think that he would actually choose to minister to these women. Now, there's two highlighted here, though there are others like Salome we read from the other gospel accounts. But the two that are highlighted, notice one is Mary Magdalene. That's the girl who, to whom she had this radical encounter with Jesus. And then we read the other Mary. How would you like to be the other Mary? Do you know who the other Mary was? His mom. Imagine she gets second bill. If the two of them were on the marquee, it's like, Mary Magdalene! The other Mary. Because, to be honest, at this point, it wasn't like Jesus was like, you guys, wait till we build a religion on my mom. I mean, Jesus died to be with us. And if he died to be with us, could you imagine you accept the gift of Jesus' death in payment for your guilt, his resurrection so we could have a brand new life. And then it's like, Jesus is like, I'm the bridegroom. You're the bride. I just want to be with you. And then he's like, now that you're with me from this point on, if you really want to talk to me, you have to talk through my mother. And that's really an unhealthy relationship. And I'm not trying to diss someone, but understand we're missing the point. The point is Jesus died to to save us from our sins and then resurrect so we could have a relationship with him. And here's the situation. Now they've watched this and then they watched Jesus die. They followed him to all of these different places and then they followed him to the cross and he dies there. And as he dies there, what part of you doesn't die with him? You think all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my future, everything that I feel like I've invested in dies at this moment, though we can't remember in our own heads that Jesus has been constantly reminding us this is exactly what's going to happen. And it is amazing how many times in Scripture we read it and we can call it truth, but we just don't apply it when we actually are supposed to. So then imagine what it was like. It tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, we're putting all four of the gospel accounts together for the facts, go and ask for the body of Jesus. They take about 100 pounds, roughly 35 kilos, uh, you know, actually, yeah, about 40 kilos of, uh, of these, like this myrrh and aloe mixture in their linen, and they wrap Jesus up, and they put him in this fresh tomb, this tomb that, by the way, had no one had ever lain in, that was near the place where Jesus was crucified. It was near a garden, and they go and they roll over a stone over it. And the women watched this whole thing because they'd rather be with a dead Jesus than a living world right now. And they stare in total shock, wouldn't you? Your whole life is different now. You're like, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. Here's the great part. You can't really do anything because now the Sabbath is nearing. Because the Sabbath is nearing, you need to go back. You need to go and find a place to stay, and you can't walk more than 200 stadia, so you're really at a place now, 200 cubits. So you're now in a place where you just, have to, you just have to sit. And wouldn't that be torture? From that sundown to that sundown, all you can think about is, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to do next. 
I don't know, this makes nothing, nothing, nothing makes sense anymore. Nothing does. But what we do read is that when the women went back, they prepared spices as well. You see, to give a person a proper, honorable burial, you could do it as many as seven days after he died. Obviously, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus have done it right at Jesus' death. But now the women want their shot at it too. And so they're waiting. They've got their bucket full of, you know, or their container or whatever way, full of uh, their anointing oils. And they're just waiting for Sabbath to get over so they can get up and go. Now they know a stone's been rolled in front of it. They know where it is because they've seen that they were there. What they may not know is that while they were back and they were not supposed to be working and no one was supposed to be working, ironically, the religious leaders were still working. They were working Pilate. They were working Pilate and telling him, look it, you know what? They were the only ones that seemed to be more recollective of the fact that Jesus promised that he would raise from the dead. So they said, you know, that guy said, that deceiver said that after three days he'll raise again. We need to guard the tomb. Otherwise, the disciples will come, they'll steal the body, and then create a revolution on a lie. And we can't have that. So Pilate says, you have your guard. So Pilate sends then men. Normally, a guard is four men at a time, three-hour shifts, no sleeping allowed, regardless And these are your scariest and your biggest and your buffest men. And I don't know if the women are aware of that because when they start talking on their way to the tomb, they never address that issue. It says, but while it was still dark, the women leave the house. So they're kind of, in essence, edging at the edge of the end of, you know, which tells you, you know that kind of thing. If someone's really, it's amazing because the same kid you can't wake up 364 days a year will wake up on Christmas Day earlier than you've ever known they could because now they have motivation. And so the other days, they wake up at the crack of noon. Now on this day, on the other hand, you know, now it's like, well, wow, eight in the morning. How in the world did you do that? Because there's an excitement. All that tells you is there's a motivation. And for the women to be up before the sun is up, and they're already there with their spices and so forth, that tells me these women cannot wait to be back and at least stare at the face of the, of the body of Jesus one more time. And as they're dragging this bucket, this container, they turn to each other, in, according to the Gospel of Mark, and say, Oh, wait a minute. Who's going to roll away the stone? <laughs> what, what that tells us is the women were so interested that they were kind of shining the details that were kind of important. So now on their way up, they're like, oh, now if they kind of, I, I'm guessing if they had known there was going to be a guard there, they would have probably said, how are we going to deal with the guard? But they don't, all they're saying is, oh my goodness, how in the world are we going to roll away the stone? It's about 10 tons at this point. And it isn't like a couple gals, or for them, even a couple guys are going to be able to do that. There's a groove that you kind of roll this thing in. It's a circular thing carved out of limestone. It's a heavy thing. It's like a giant piano that you have to move with, you know, that's, you know, it's standing on it. So they're kind of looking, they're trying to decide this, unaware of the fact that there are guards there. Now I want you to see the humor in the moment that we are getting here because this is beautiful and brilliant. First of all, you have to take your four scariest guys. So now let me just ask you, in your mind, pick your kind of, if, if you were going to pick someone famous that you kind of know was sort of like the biggest, the, the toughest or whatever, who would you pick? Help me out here. Give me some names. Good, good work. Anyone? I'm sorry? 
Arnold. Okay, so we have Arnold. Okay, we have Arnold. Arnold's there. Arnold's there. You're not going to get past me. Get in the copter. Okay, who else? Anyone else? The, oh, the rock. Sure, you have to get the rock in there, right? He's actually, a, he's actually quite a big guy. Okay, so now you've got the rock. So you've got, you know, you've got, you know, the, the Matt Austrian and you've got Mr. Tattoo. So, okay, who else? Give me two more. What's that? Oh, my goodness, who said Mr. T? Okay, come here. Come here. Yeah, we'll talk later about him. He's actually a really cool guy. All right. So, okay, so now we've got Mr. T. I pity the fool who get near to God, right? I pity the fool. So we've got, okay, so we've got Mr. T in his best days, in that, like, 18 days. So Mr. T, we've got The Rock, and then we've got Arnold. And, okay, and then give me a fourth one. What's that? Oh, Vin Diesel. Okay, Vin Diesel, which is basically a mini rock. Okay, perfect. Okay, so we've got these. Hopefully he's not going to listen. All right, so the, you've got these four guys, and the whole idea is you're going to try to get, you know, kind of the, kind of the tough guys, the guys that, you know, it's like, or it's like, you know, we're in England, maybe like Jason Statham, right? The guy, oh, I talk like this, right? Okay. Well, and so you've got these guys, and they're there guarding. And here's the point of it. You've got these four tough guys, and they're guarding. And it's like, let's face it, the last thing they're thinking in the world is to look behind them. There's a dead guy in a cave behind them. Last thing you need. So there's the four guys. Oh, I don't take care of things, right? And so they're there. And so they're all there. And while all of this starts to happen, there's this earthquake. And as there's this earthquake, you kind of get this kind of... Right? But it gets better because the earth is shaking, and this guy is coming down, this, this angel, and he's glowing. Now, I don't know what's so frightening about glowing unless you're actually really in allegiance to the darkness. But you have these far guys. Now, you've got your guys. You've got, you know, you've got the between the rock and Arnold in his greatest days, and, you know, and Mr. T in their greatest days. Those three guys should basically be able to conquer, like, Russia, you know, and, and all of that. And so, and this angel comes down, and you can kind of see him. And the part that I love about this is God's got some scaring to do. Because as this is going to happen, he's going to come down. And, I, and at first, I just kind of figured, like, he was like, but I kind of get the answer, like, and here's the cool part. So these guys, and it tells us, they become like dead men and they faint. So imagine there's Arnold, like, and down he goes. Which means that if you were going to go and pick this thing that was your horror film, what would you pick? Snake clowns. You know, what would you pick? You know, it would be like, Daniel would be like, spiders. I hate spiders. You know, for someone would be like stairs or mats or just clowns in general, right? Immigration, Donald Trump, or whatever the thing is that people want to make, you know, their thing. Not mine. The whole idea of it is, is for the Romans, if they were going to have Fright Night, they were going to sit around and eat their popcorn, the movie would be called The Rock Rolling Angel. And he's like, but here's the best part. So he's coming down, and the earth is shaking, light's coming out. Oh, this is cool. We do it like this. So he's like this, right? So here he is. He's like, and the guards are, oh, they all faint. But then the best part is the girls, the women show up, and then he turns to them, and he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, 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 don't be afraid. And I love the change in that. Notice, by the way, because it appears almost simultaneous in the text. So there are these guards. Imagine these women are having, now listen, for the women to run in the darkness in the first place makes them fodder. I mean, think about the places you wouldn't go in the dark in London. Because it's dark, that's not the place for a girl. Look at a couple girls dragging some ointment. There's nothing scary about that. 
but they're risking it because they want to be with Jesus. So as, as they're kind of making their way up, do they feel the earthquake? We don't know. Do they see the light? We don't know. All we know is somewhere up they get this, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, and they see it's like, and they fall over. Maybe it's a cesarean birth that makes you faint. But whatever it is, in this case, it's an angel, and they all pass out. And as they all pass out, he's like, oh, 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 don't be afraid. And I love this because he has no problem freaking out the guys because the women have two things to go to see that Jesus isn't there. They have to get past the guards, and they have to get past the rock. Well, actually, in this case, both, because there's the rock, the guard, but there's the rock that has the roll. Right? So... Okay, so follow me on this. So in this situation, these women have to step over the guards, the fainted guards. And notice it says here, and and now we're just looking at it literally, it says, Now as the Sabbath, the first day began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and Mary came to see the tomb. His countenance is an angel. Behold, behold means stop everything and notice this. This is so awesome that there was this great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came, rolled back the stone from the door, and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. This guy reeked of purity and glory. And as the darkness recoils, they faint. And then the guard shook for fear and became like dead men. But the angel answered, which tells us this seems to be happening simultaneously. These guys are like, but the angel says, oh, don't be afraid. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's, I, I know you've seen that he was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Now, come and see, and then go quickly and tell everyone. Now, please hear me, because there is a radical difference between this and the second part of this. Here's the first part. These women show up, and radical things are happening. Fainting guards, rolling rocks, glowing angels sitting on the rock. And I just kind of love the fun of that. He's just kind of, you know, kind of casual. This one, oh, ladies, oh, don't worry about it. You're good. You're good. You're on the right side. Look at, don't be afraid, because I know you have a reason to be afraid. Look what happened to these guys. But go ahead and take a look. Come and see for yourself. And once you come and see for yourself, then I want you to go and tell the disciples. Now, please hear me in this. They can't see Jesus in there. What they can see is that Jesus is not there. That death is gone. That's the point. Now, when Peter and John go look in, what they will actually see will be the the linen cloths lying there. Now, I remind you, wrapped in linen, covered in aloe, give it three days, you know, and what comes at the end of it all is you have a body cast. It isn't like they unwrapped linen. So when Jesus, when they found the body cast, excuse me, and Jesus is not there, what they're looking at is like a cocoon. I mean, that's even weirder. It's not just who strips the body and steals it. At this point, it's like, how do you even get the body out of the cocoon? How do you get it out of that full body cast? But the women understand in this case. Now, what Mark tells us is that when the women did at this point, they were, gonna, they were running, but they weren't going to go tell anyone. They were still running. But Mark says, but at that point, they really... No, please hear me, because we're almost done. But this is how we have, to, we have to put a difference between the first part of this experience and the second part. The first part is they encountered an angel. Now understand, angelos just means messenger. Like evangelist means good messenger. Now, the reason I say that is the messenger wasn't there. The angel wasn't like rolling rock stone or rock rolling stone, you know, uh, you know angel. His purpose wasn't just to roll away stone. His purpose was to get a message because he's an angel. And a messenger should have a message. So, 
Here's the point. He comes in, and here's his message. Please come in. Don't be afraid. Come and look. He's not here. He's risen. Then go tell everyone. According to Mark, they, they do. They, they, they're brave enough to look inside. They're brave enough to see he's not there. And then they're brave enough to run out. And here's the point. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now I'm not talking about you don't know that he exists, or you don't, you know, it's like I believe in him like I believe in Santa Claus. You know, I know that he exists. The point is, is that there is a choice that is demanded because of any relationship demands a series of choices. And that choice is, am I going to accept his payment for my sins or not? That's the cross. But understand, that's half the story. His resurrection says he has the right to have the rest of my life forever. Because he's living and I hand my life to him. Now, please hear me. That's the choice you're going to get when we finish this. Regardless of what, you know, it's because I want you to know. I want to give you the dignity of knowing. You have a choice to make. When a guy drops the knee and he's got the ring in his hand, you're stuck with a choice to make. Because that guy, assumedly, wants more than just to give you a ring. It's not give a girl a ring day. It's Chances are he wants to spend the rest of his life with you. He is offering a relationship with you. And that's the whole point of the cross. Jesus is offering a relationship with you. And that forces a choice. But the second part now is where the difference comes in. So here it is. You know, hey, he's not here. Stop being afraid. Go in and look for yourself. And they go and look in the tomb. And they're like, well, he isn't here. There's linen cloths here. He's not here. That is strange. Now, they're going to go run and tell the disciples sooner or later, which tells us the disciples wouldn't have stolen him, because if that were the case, they'd be busy hiding him. And, and by the way, there's, we'll talk about that next week. How do you deal with a Jesus in a situation like this? Here's the point. is As they are leaving, notice the rest of the text. It tells us then, that they went out quickly with great fear and joy, ran to bring the disciples' word, though they weren't going to do it ultimately. And they went to tell the, as they went to tell the disciples, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. And they came, held him by his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said then, Don't be afraid. Now go and tell. Now here is the difference. If your experience with Christianity is basically what you see as a few changed lives, in other words, what you're looking at are empty tombs. I mean I, I mean, I could give you my story. I'm sure many people here could give you their story of the horrible, rotten person, the death, and what death looked like to us. Hopelessness. In my case, it was violence. Uh, it was anger. And believe it or not, I was really quiet and brooding. I know. It's hard to believe. And if it is, then you can see the difference Jesus has made. Now, the reason I say that is, is you can think, if you knew that person, and you knew the person I am now, you would be able to say, that's clearly an empty tomb. The death that once dwelt here is now dwelling there anymore. And that's as far as you'll go. But to be honest, it's not going to change your life. What it'll do, it may actually cause you to reconsider. And that's the whole point, because that's why we take that first step anyways. But sooner or later, you've got to meet him. We're not Christians because we adopted a program. We're not Christians because we decided we wanted to come to a freezing church on a Sunday. The reason we're Christians is because we've encountered Christ. And what changed me was not that I'd adopted a whole new set of morals and standards and, and lifestyles. It wasn't like there's a whole, here's a brand new ideals, just adopt these, good luck. That's like, you know, a guy is, is drowning and I'm like, well, hey, by the way, since you're there, let me actually give you a book to read on how not to drown. Well, in the end of it, all you're going to do is drown with a book. But what happened in the middle of this is that these women encountered Jesus. 
church didn't save me. Christianity didn't save me. Jesus saved me. The person, Jesus, saved me. He died for my sins before I ever existed. And then he gave me a choice to say, can I pay your bill or not? And I said yes. And when I said yes, he lovingly took the person that I hated so much that was me and he killed him. And the, the person inside. But then he raised up a whole new person. A person that did something that never the old man would have done. And that's love people. Talk like this to people. And tell them how Jesus makes a difference in their life. And how that created song and life and transformation that changed every facet of my life. And I know I'm not the only one. On these, as these women were heading out, what happened ultimately is that there's an angel who looks and he says, hey, 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 you know, go take a look at the empty tomb. And can I say, as a messenger, take a look, talk to people, talk to the empty tombs. And, but see, they're not empty because now ultimately Jesus, that living God, has come and lived inside of us now. And that tomb has now become a cathedral. And that's what makes the most biggest heap of trash transformed into the most beautiful art. Is the same one who flung the stars in their place and took colors and made it our universe. It's the same one who took the nothingness of the, in the meaninglessness of my life and transformed it into something with purpose and meaning and depth and character and life. And so what do the women do? They go and they tell them. But here's the crazy part. You realize what the women are going to basically be to the disciples? They're going to be like the angel. Did you realize that? They're going to go and say, hey, by the way, we've run into Jesus and the tomb is empty. And as that is the case, Peter and John are going to run to the tomb and see an empty tomb. But then they have to encounter Jesus to be transformed. And as they encounter Jesus to be tra- and, and are transformed, then they go and tell other people, hey, you need to come and see for yourself. Jesus transforms and he clears death out. And in that case, sooner or later, there's no tomb to visit literal. Now the tomb is just going to be the messengers. And as they start to see that, sooner or later, what's going to happen is, is that they're still going to have to encounter Jesus. And 2,000 years later, we're standing here in London and we're saying, hey, have you encountered Jesus? Not have you adopted a program, not have you joined a church, have you, have you accepted his gift? So here's the simplest, beloved. I want to take us right to prayer. And as we go to prayer, I want to give you a choice. Now look it. If, you have a, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, then my question is, if you've accepted the gift, then you've accepted a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've accepted a relationship with Jesus Christ, how is that changing you now? Is it turning you into the next messenger for someone else? Because it should. If you're not sure you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and that invitation to a relationship, I'd love the privilege of telling you, you're stuck in a crisis. You have a choice to make. Are you going to say yes? Jesus, with his knee bowed, with the ring out, he's saying, look it, I want to spend eternity with you. You say yes. Because my God takes all the filth and kills it and raises up brand new life. Why would you say no to that? Why would you pay a bill somebody else is already willing to pay? And that bill is the guilt for our sins. Oh, would you pray with me, please? 
God, I want to thank you for this beautiful text. And no doubt we could have developed it deeper in a lot of different ways, but it like it takes away so much from the majesty of the simple clarity of what's taking place here. Here are these women who have who've lugged with them, who have schlepped with them this big tub of ointment to anoint a dead body that's, well, it's not dead anymore. And it's not there. And they're going to leave it all there because it's irrelevant now. And all the things that try to make death smell better, like that ointment, will be irrelevant. And we know what it's like to be bitter and angry and confused and hurt and afraid and dejected and and, and all of those things, Lord, that make up this horrible, nasty soup, this cesspool of who we were and how we try to cover it up. And we go from relationship to relationship. We go from one type of intoxication to the next. We go from one power type of achievement to the next. One pursuit of adrenaline after the next. But in the end of it all, God, we're just trying to put makeup and more and more makeup over a dead body. And it still stinks. It just is covered in something to try to make it stink less. But here you are doing so much more than just saying, I can make that body stop stinking. Rather, I can make you brand new. And you tell us in your word that whoever is in you is a new creation. And that's the choice and the opportunity and the option we are now granted. Will we receive this new life? Oh, that's the choice. God, I pray for every believer in this room that have said yes to you, not to just acknowledge you exist, but recognize this is about a relationship that could happen from this point forward or has happened from a point where we said yes and continue to say yes. Lord, I recognize that it could be easy for us to get our eyes off of that and turn it back to something political, turn it back to something that just is so not you and the simplicity of it and the ministry that comes from just bringing people to you knowing that you transform them. We'll make it simple again, and in that, make it effective, I pray. But for us in this room, Lord, get us back to that relationship where everything has purpose and meaning. But lastly, the sound of this voice. If there's anyone in this room, maybe you're not sure you've ever actually just, you could say, on this day, I made the choice to accept the gift of Jesus, declaring him my Savior and my Lord, handing him my life, if you've never made that choice or you're not confident you ever have, I'd like to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if at hearing this, you agree at the end and you say, Amen, what you're saying is, I agree, I adopt that prayer as my own now. May those words be my words, so be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I am a sinner like all men are sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I'm filthy because of the things I've thought and felt and intended. And all the summation of my life is death in that sense. And that doesn't intimidate you. That doesn't frighten you. All the darkness of my life cowers to the power of the light that you are. But I believe you so loved me that you sent Jesus, your only begotten Son, to die on the cross for me. So 
so that all of my guilt could be punished on him instead of me. And the separation he experienced between the two of you, between you, Father, and him, Jesus, is the, is the punishment I deserve for eternity because of my guilt. But because of your love, you've allowed Jesus to pay that price. And though he's paid the price, you still have given me the dignity of choice. And you ask, will I be willing to accept that gift, that payment? But I also recognize that just like Scripture promised on the third day, just like Jesus promised on the third day, he would raise again. And you offer me a brand new life. And that brand new life is one with you where now my life becomes the clay in your hands to make beautiful. And I just want you to know, if that's the offer you're offering me, my answer is yes. I know my heart's racing, but I can't say no to this. This is so right. I say yes to your payment on my behalf, and I say yes to that resurrection, and I hand you my life, and I say, Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior, and now turn my life into something beautiful. Transform it and make it new as I am yours. So, I'm yours, I hand you me. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to give a confident Amen. Oh, you hear us, Lord. You hear the prayers. Cement that conviction in our hearts now, I pray. Oh, Lord, please, be blessed. And I commit us to you, Lord, as we sing one final song and dismiss. Oh, do your work now, I pray. Lord, make us that new creation and make us the blessing you intend for us to be and the messenger to the people around us to investigate and to meet you themselves. In Jesus' name.